Today's reading is from Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 39, on page 1002. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus, Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The word of the Lord. Emma, thank you. And um, we spent a couple of weeks in this passage, actually, uh, chapter 21 to uh, 39. But, um, well, I'll explain what we're doing in a moment. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, what a glorious, glorious Savior we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here just how staggered everyone was by his authority, that the clear power that he had both in his teaching and in his supporting miracles. Father, help us this evening, we pray. Understand what drove him. Understand his priority. We do ask it so that we're more like him. We're shaped to be like him. We think like him. We serve him. We ask in his name. Amen. Now, there's an article in the press uh, a few days ago, Thursday morning, I think it came up, and um, we may have it, 
uh, A.N. Wilson, to resurrect the church, try the gospel truth. Now, not many would know, but uh, uh, certainly for someone of my vintage, it's a great delight to hear uh, read an article by A.N. Wilson um, as a Christian uh, in the early 90s, I was commuting in and out of the city every day. Uh, once a week, I think it was Wednesday night, he wrote an article in the Evening Standard every week. Um, you, had to, you had to buy the Evening Standard. <gasps> I think it was only about 20 pence, so, you know, uh, that's the 90s. Um, but he, and he hated Christians. So every week you'd get something which was commonly ranting, fulminating angrily uh, against Christians. He was famous for writing this little book, uh, Against Religion, Why We Should Try to Live Without It. So he was sort of the sort of aggressive atheist before, while Richard Dawkins was in his nappy. Um, not quite that, but you know, while he was, before that sort of gang came along, he was the really erudite, brilliant writer who wrote against the Christian faith. And then 10 years or so ago, he went, actually, I'm wrong. I'm going to become a Christian. Um, and so now he writes um, for Team Jesus, uh, which is great because he's a very, very impressive writer. Anyway, this is his article on, the, on uh, Thursday morning. To resurrect the church, try the gospel truth. Faith thrives when worshippers are given Christianity in the raw rather than the liberalism of the C of E hierarchy. Now, it's quite a strident phrase or, or, or way of expressing things. Um, he's actually, he's taking that phrase from C.S. Lewis, Christianity in the raw. Just give them the Bible, is what he's saying. And uh, he goes on, you may, not, may just about be able to read this on the screen. Christianity is of its essence contramundum against the world. Its values invert those of liberal modern life. The hierarchy of the established church is largely composed of men and women whose mindset is entirely shaped by that godless liberalism. That's his Christmas card from Lambeth Palace. Gone, I imagine. <laughs> so naturally, when they see themselves attacked by fellow liberals, they run for cover. They don't have the courage to see, let alone say, that these matters are entirely marginal to the awesome gospel that they're commissioned to preach. So it's great. He's a brilliant writer, A.M. Wilson. And now he's saying, oh, for goodness sake. The whole, the whole point of Christianity is it inverts the values of the world. If you want to fit in with the values of the world, of course the churches will be empty because people got better places to live their lives than in old churches. But if you want people to follow Jesus, give them the gospel in the raw. Proclaim the gospel. Preach the gospel that Jesus preached. Preach repentance and faith in him. Or go home, he says. And um, it produced a few little responses and comments in the online version. Give people Christianity in the raw. That's all they need preached to them. Now, that's also what the first disciples needed to be told. If you turn to this, uh, if you look down at the, the sort of last little passage in our story, verses 35 to 39, Jesus gets up early in the morning, he goes and prays, and the disciples say, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, things are going so well in Capernaum. This is a small town, but hey, everyone loves you. You're doing miracles and healing. It's great. And we're your entourage, and we get a bit of reflected glory, and it's great, and we're loving that. Um, what are you doing? Going off and sort of spending time on your own. Don't do that. 
And he says, no, you've misunderstood. I'm here to preach. And I'm going to go to every little backwater, every tiny village of a dozen, 20, 50, 100. I'm going to go to the sticks. That's why I came. To preach that people need to repent and believe. Stop living for themselves. Trust in me. Trust that I am God's king who will pay for their sins, who will conquer death and will return to judge this world. Trust me. Oh, but Jesus, no one's going to like that. What about the miracles? Healings? I mean, they're terrific. Yeah, that's not why I've come. Oh. Now, this passage, uh, verses uh, 21 all the way to 39, it's one block. It's obviously a one block in Mark's gospel. It's 24 hours um, in the life of Jesus. Um, but we're going to look at it over two weeks. The two things really get stressed in it. One is his authority, his authority over uh, evil spirits. We can think about that next time. So if that's your thing and driving out demons, what's all that about? That come back next week. But his authority over evil spirits, his authority to teach, his authority over sickness, his authority is one of the big two themes here. But the other one, and we're going to look at this eccentrically first this week, is the priority he has. Because as we send off the gang to Wembley Park, I thought it made more sense to focus on Jesus' priority, which is to preach. Let's think about that. Preach Christianity in the raw. Now, if you're just joining us tonight, we're in Mark's Gospel this term, chapters 1 to 4, and uh, others may copy us in that regard. It has a fabulous focus upon the Lord Jesus and what it means to follow him. And we thought about that last time. This central message, the, the, the chapter 1, verse 15, is the preaching or the summary of Jesus' preaching. Whenever you hear him preaching or read of him preaching in the rest of the gospel, you've got to know that this is the substance of it. Jesus, chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near because I'm here. Repent, stop living for yourself, and believe, trust in me, trust in the gospel, the good news about me. I am God's king. You must make up your mind on me. I am the only one who can pay for your sins. Conquer death. I'll return to judge. What are you going to do with me? But we're thinking tonight then about his priority. So we're going to look at this. Very simple. His need was to pray. His priority was to preach. And his purpose was to save. Okay, just those three. It's very simple. His need was to pray. His priority was to preach. His purpose was to save. We'll work through it. First then, we're just mainly, as I say, tonight looking at verses 35 to 39, and we'll come back for 21 to 34 next week. First then, his need was to pray. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You can learn lots of sensible things about praying from that, just as a verse, if you wanted. I mean, Jesus gets up early, it's while it's still dark, so depending on the time of year, somewhere between four o'clock and six o'clock, like most of you get up in the morning to pray, and um, he, he goes off to a quiet place, so he's not interrupted. I mean, there's wisdom in that, you can learn from that. Um, and this is, everyone says, this is entirely tangential, I think, but you do know, don't you? <laughs> it's almost impossible to grow spiritually unless you set aside time with the Lord to delight in him, to depend upon him. You do know that, right? 
I mean, we'd all love there to be another fast forward button, but I'm afraid if you want to grow in maturity, contentment, wisdom, joy, I'm afraid there isn't a shortcut. But that isn't the point. Um, I think, although you can learn, I think that is true, you can learn from that. But what's going on here? Three times in Mark's gospel, Mark records Jesus withdrawing to a quiet place and praying. Now, Mark loves the number three, 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 three. Everything comes in threes in Mark. But three times he records Jesus withdrawing to pray. And every time it's at a decision moment. It's at a sort of a, a crossroads moment in the gospel. So here in, um, in chapter one, Jesus, are you going to go for the popularity and have everyone love you in Capernaum? That's easy. Or are you going to go out to the sticks and preach as an itinerant preacher, which is much harder work? And then they escalate. So in chapter 6, verse 46, uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And um, the people say, hey, let's try and make Jesus king. And he could become king straight away in Mark 6. It's it's clear what's going on in John 6, verse 11, actually. But that's what's going on at the same time. Uh, Jesus could become king straight away. The people try to make him king. Or he can go through the suffering of the cross and become king in a slightly different sense. Not a worldly king with everyone acclaiming him, but a vilified king who people put to death. Choice. The third time is in um, uh, chapter 14, Garden of Gethsemane. Is there another way? A different way? An easier way? No. Okay, I'll take the path of drinking your judgment being cut off from God the Father, suffering. So three times, not arbitrary, not random. I take it Jesus prayed more than three times, right? Um, The other gospels record other occasions when Jesus prays. But in Mark's gospel, three times at decision moments in Jesus's life, easy path or suffering of the cross. Now look, let me say something obvious. If Jesus needed to pray, so do you and me. Right? Three times there's a point, what is going to define the ministry of Jesus? Worldly acclaim, suffering, obedience. Which will it be? And Jesus says, this is intense. I need to withdraw and go and pray. Three times. If he needs to do that, so do we. Now, look, let me, three little things on this. One, I think that's generally true. You have to pray to follow the Lord's path. You have to pray to center your life upon the Lord and, and not follow your own way of doing things. I think that's generally true. Um, I think closer to what's going on here is, secondly, you, you need to pray in tense moments or key decision-making moments key moments of obedience. Don't look at that manifest in different ways, possibly. Uh, changing job, changing city, changing country. Get yourself off with the Lord and pray. If I may broaden it out, at the start of a new church plant, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. May the Lord 
put you in a place where you have to pray with a regularity and intensity, a commitment that you've never known before. Pray. My third little comment, uh, this is my, mildly self-indulgent, but um, I don't think anyone ever taught me to pray. I don't mishear me, I can pray. Right? Uh, I pray with others, pray on my own, do it every day, but I pray. Um, but intense, sustained, relentless, withdrawing for long periods to pray, I don't think anyone, and this is not meant to be a criticism, this is a confession, right? I don't think anyone ever modeled that to me. Which means occasionally, and I, as I've been thinking this week, I wonder if I've ever taught this church to pray. This might be, I think, my biggest flaw in 20 years, that we don't model this, maybe. I'm not certain. But, you know, little things, indicators. We're about 400 adults plus kids on a Sunday about 330 people are in some sort of small group midweek and we come to the week where we pray and it's 100, 150. And you think, oh, that... Jesus thought he needed to pray and I wonder, just wonder, just wonder. So I think we need to try again here. But for you guys going to Wembley Park... I pray that you will know that you need to pray. Because Jesus knew that at a critical moment. What's going to define your ministry? It's a pretty key time now. Pray. His need was to pray. Secondly, his priority, though, was to preach. His priority was to preach. Priority as opposed to the other aspects of healing, miracle working, driving out evil spirits. So Jesus goes off to pray. And verse 36, Simon Peter and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, hey, everyone's looking for you. Now this verb, they went to look for him. Again, in Mark's gospel, it's not neutral. Uh, eight times, where are we? Eight times it appears in Mark's gospel. There's here. Two occasions, his family uh, go to look for him to shut him down. Five times, it's the um, religious authorities in Jerusalem look for him to kill him. So it's not a neutral verb, Right? It's they hunted him down, would be a perhaps a more in line with how Mark uses it. They hunt him down, they track him down, because they want him to fit their agenda. Hey, what about, like it's going really well in Capernaum, and everyone loves us, you know, let's go out there. And he says no. Verse 38, No. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages of Wembley so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. No, we need to go elsewhere. So we've had this story in verses 21 to 28. He's cast out an evil spirit. Verses 29 to 31, miraculous healings. You get the summary of what he's been doing. Verse 34, uh, healing men who had various diseases, driving out many demons. But the main thing I've come to do, says Jesus here in chapter one, is preach. That's the priority. Why did he come? Not to heal as many people as possible, to preach. 
to confront people with a decision. Chapter 1, verse 15, you need to repent and believe the good news. Will you recognize me as king over your life and put your trust in me? The well-meaning disciples said, can we just put you in this box of popular, enjoyable, spiritual? Can we put you in that box? That works. People like it. We like it. Can we do that? No, I've come to preach, he says. And of course, the modern world will be in accordance with that, I think. I mean, if, in the 21st century, if people accept that Jesus came and he could do these miracles, people would like it. I mean, if Jesus popped up today, people would like it. If miracles, healing, great, all good, yeah, useful, healing, useful. I mean, there's an NHS, a new NHS plan came out last week. They need to raise some staff. He'd be a good member of staff in the NHS, you know. Um, people would like that, healings. He says, oh, I've come to preach. Well, that's a fat lot of good in 2023. What will that do? And Jesus, no, that's the key thing. Makes all the difference in the world. Because preaching can save for eternity. And Christianity is a supernatural religion that says it saves people from death for life in the next world. Begins now, but it lasts forever. My uh, 18-year-old is interrailing at the moment on a gap year and um, uh, traveling around Europe and uh, got as far as uh, Krakow and said, I said, oh, you're going to go to Auschwitz? Well, be a bit gloomy going to Auschwitz. Yes, yeah, son, go, go, just go. Um, oh, all right. Uh, so we did with his mates. The two of them went, Dad, thank you. That's unmissable. Golly, don't know what to write. Well, fair enough in a text. Um, but can you imagine being there, for example, say in 1943 in Auschwitz-Birkenau? And someone comes along and says, hey, look, you're, you're sick, you're weak, you're emaciated. I'll feed you. I'll give you a week's worth of meals. I'll get some nutrients in you. I'll bandage up your wounds. I'll feed you. I'll heal you. That is great. That is really great. But what you really want is to be taken out of there and taken to a safe place. Because you can have your strength restored there, you can be healed there, but there's still the chambers. You want someone to get you out and take you to a place of safety. And Jesus is saying here, yeah, I can heal lots of people. I can do that. Push evil out of them, drive out spirits. Yeah, I can do all of that. But what I want to do is pull them out of this regime into a better place. I want to take them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of my Father. And when I preach and people put their trust in me, that changes their eternity. They're taken from one spiritual realm into another, which endures into the new creation. That is why my priority is to preach. He could have healed many more, but preaching that he's king and people need to trust in him and stop living for themselves saves forever. Which is why when he sends his disciples out in chapter three, he says, go and preach. I mean, their sermons may not have been very good. Um, but if the message is, put your faith in Jesus, that can save for eternity. So look, as Scott and the gang go to the village of Wembley Park, 
make sure that your priority is preaching. Don't get distracted. I, as you guys, I mainly look over here. I know you're all there, but mainly over here. The, um, uh, as I'm sure, I hope you know, I could not esteem Scott Fury more highly. I think you go with a fantastic gospel minister. Um, will some of you please ask him the question on a regular basis? Are you giving at least 12 hours to your sermons so that when you preach, it's good, it's faithful, it's a message that can pull people from death to life? There are a lot of things to distract you in a church, a lot of good things to do, good things. Scott will have a lot of good draws upon his time, but he must make that time to preach. So ask him, have you got enough time to preach? We want to make sure that's there. It's got to be the case. Jesus, his need was to pray. His priority was to preach. Last, his purpose was to save. Now, let's be clear. He came to preach this message, repent and believe in me. Repent and believe the gospel that I am God's king and I can conquer your sins and I can pay for them and I can pull you through death to eternal life and I will return to judge. But it's only a means to an end he's preaching, right? Um, I mean, if, if he'd come and gone on a big preaching tour for three years and had the crowds and filled the stadiums and yeah, everyone loves the preaching and then just disappeared and retired to Australia, um, that would not have been a success because the preaching is about what he's going to do. So three times, again, because it's Mark, he loves his threes, three times you get a purpose statement in, uh, uh, on the lips of Jesus in Mark's gospel. So here in chapter one, I've come to preach. Chapter two, verse 17, just over a page. I've come for sinners. I've come to save sinners, people who know they need me. Chapter 10, verse 45. The son of man, describing himself, has come to give his life as a ransom for many. And you have to hold those three together. If you said, Jesus, why have you come? I've come to preach to sinners that I'm giving my life for them. You've got to hold those three together. Preaching is not an end. It's a means to an end that people put their faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for them. That's the ransom. He gave his life for a ransom for, on behalf of, in place of, instead of many. We should all be judged by God for all our wrongdoings. He says, I'll sacrifice for you, instead of you, on behalf of you. I'll pay. Sacrifice. We were with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and they are um, uh, empty nesters, and um, so their children have been through, and they're, um, I was about to say free, that's pejorative. They're free, and, um, uh, or in a different phase of life, they're in a different phase of life, uh, and anyway, the, the mum said, oh, I was invited to a baby shower the other day. That was a bit of a, uh, a surprise, I hadn't been to one of those in, in, in years, and everyone was in their late 20s, it was, I was the oldest person there, and it, anyway, it was all very lovely. Um, uh, she's quite British, this mum. She said, I mean, it was a little detroit. I mean, we all had to write lots and lots of notes for the mum to be. And look, I know there's some pregnant 
mums to be here, so please don't take offence at this. Okay? Or, or panic, don't panic at this. Um, but we had to write notes. So we had to write a note, you know, when you're up in the night, just exhausted feeding the baby, when um, uh, baby won't feed, uh, where, you know, he's just throwing up all, all over you. And then you, you know, we all had to write these notes and we all read them out and, uh, and then put them in an envelope for the occasion when she would need them. You know, I think although if a baby's crying in the middle of the night, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out that envelope of notes, and you know, I don't know. But anyway, that's that's a theory. And she said they're all lovely. You know, oh, the baby's crying, but I'm sure you still look beautiful. Um, yeah, I know you're exhausted now, but you'll be a wonderful mum. You know, and uh, all notes like this. And she said, yeah, I got it a bit wrong. Uh, I got it a bit wrong because you know I wrote down, yeah, dear. Uh, I've got to tell you, this is where it starts. And it goes on like this. Because um, you will, for this child, it's not just sleep you'll sacrifice. You'll sacrifice your youth as you wrinkle and your hair goes white. You'll sacrifice your money as you spend voluminous amounts on all sorts of things for them. You'll sacrifice your holidays as you no longer get to do whatever you want. You sacrifice your time as you drive them around from this ballet class to that archery lesson. You make all sorts of sacrifices. And then you get to the teenage years and all of a sudden you think you're tired now. But the emotional tiredness that comes from their you know, stress about exams, about their desperation to fit in with their friends, you know, about anorexia and things looming at their school, that makes you exhausted. And then they stand in the kitchen and at full volume declare, I hate you. She said, so everyone else had read theirs and then I, <laughs> I read mine and thought, it's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit much. Um, uh, of course, she said, I'm sorry. I don't think, I know. I think culturally I've misread the room a little bit. <laughs> I miss the sort of touchy-feely, you know, it's all very wonderful. But hey, maybe a little realism for you there, girls, um, was her observation. And she said, of course, I've said all that. But you do it. You do it all because you love them. And you read through Mark's gospel. And why does Jesus give his life as a ransom for many? Why at every juncture... When he could take an easy path of popularity, does he choose suffering and obedience to his father? Why? Because he loves you. He says, because you're my brothers and sisters, and I will give my life as a ransom for you. Yes, there's a cost. Yes, there's a sacrifice. But he does it because he loves you. Jesus knew his need was to pray. His priority was to preach. His purpose was to save. And that, I think A.M. Wilson would observe, is Christianity in the raw. You've got to tell people, in language appropriate, that they're sinners facing God's judgment for their wrongdoing. But that the Lord Jesus Christ came as a sacrifice, he died so they can live forever. And 
what he describes as a, a liberal culture will say, oh golly, how primitive, how terrible. See, but that is Christianity in the raw that saves people from hell, for heaven, forever. And that is what they need to hear. It's what you need to hear. It's what we need to hear. It's what Wembley Park needs to hear. So as you go, please take Christianity in the raw. Know that you need to pray. I think you'll learn to pray more deeply than ever. The priority must be to preach this message. There'll be other things you do, lots of other things. But this message of Jesus Christ is the priority because that's how he saves. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we can easily be like those first disciples, thinking we know what we want from Jesus. We know what we'd like Jesus to do for us and do for others. We'd like Jesus to fit in with our lives and our agenda, and he will not. Father, thank you for the real clarity with which he speaks here. While he could do, perform all sorts of miracles, he was committed to telling people, repent and believe in me. For that message of Jesus Christ as the ransom for many, the one who can conquer death and return to bring justice, saves people for eternity. Father, would that be a message that rings out more clearly than ever in Wembley Park? Would it be the message we're committed to here at CCM? We pray it for the honor of your name so that many more become brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it for his sake. Amen.